In the early 1970s, Stanford University, led by psychologist Walter Michel, conducted an experiment with children on the subject of delayed gratification. It involved an adult talking to a child who was seated in a chair, putting a marshmallow in front of that child, and then telling them that they could eat the marshmallow right away, but the adult was going to leave the room, and when they came back, if the child resisted eating that marshmallow, they would then give them another one. So to be clear, eat the marshmallow right away, you just get one. Wait, double the pleasure. Of course, the experiment resulted in all kinds of funny results, you know, as children fought the temptation for what turned out to be about 15 minutes. And the study was further extrapolated as they followed these children and came to the conclusion that the children that waited did better later in life. Now, those results have since been questioned, but what is so intriguing about the test is what a microcosm it is of our lives, the decisions we make, the consequences of those decisions, and how hard it is for us to, to wait for the better in light of the succulent, tempting, immediate. I mean, even when it makes logical sense to defer gratification, it can still be hard. For me, it's dessert. That freshly baked cherry croissant or almond croissant, in, in light of the fact of that I want to be the more fit Joe six-pack that I dream of, what's your struggle? Some of our weaknesses are surely far more serious than diet and the consequences much more than physical. Today we are talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ and inherent in that conversation is delayed gratification and extreme repercussions. How you live for the second coming impacts each day of your eternity. Last week we saw and heard from the words of Jesus, seek first the kingdom of God. So rather than be focused on what is right in front of us, we are to give ourselves to Jesus and to his teachings, to make it the main thing in our lives, so much so that loving God and loving others becomes the main thing of what we're all about. That's what it means to live ready. So to put it in a sentence, to live ready is to live faithful to Jesus, to his teaching and calling. And we do that with joy because we do experience the kingdom of God in part now, but we know that there is so much more to come, that Jesus is going to bring the fullness of his kingdom when he returns. Like the adult who has left the room, he has promised to come back with more. And so this return of Jesus is so important. As you read the New Testament, you see that it colors so much of the thinking of Jesus' followers. And yet in some contexts in North America today, it hardly gets a mention. How could that be given the centrality and the hopefulness of this truth? Well, I think there are two reasons. First of all, you, you, this world has no attraction to you if you're living in a context where you're being persecuted for your faith. You won't be an opportunity to, to be deceived like the rich man in Luke chapter 12 who thought maybe life is about the stuff. You're not going to be blinded to that. But in North America, because we have so many marshmallows in front of us to eat, we are tempted that way. Secondly, when the return of Jesus is emphasized, so often it becomes about the signs and how they relate to current events. And there's been a history of misinterpretations this way. And so as a new interpretation arises, so does skepticism in people who found this approach so wanting. The Welsh doctor and preacher, Dr. Lloyd Martin-Jones, he said that the, the focus on the Second Advent has fallen away simply because we focus too much on the signs, on the when and the how, as opposed to the fact that Jesus is coming again. That's what we're going to focus on today. Turn with me to Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. 
and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Jesus now uses a word picture to urge us to be ready. Stay dressed for action, he says. Now these are words that would be familiar to a disciple because literally they mean gird up your loins. In the, in the days before skinny jeans, men wore robes and I'm so glad we don't dress that way today, by the way. But to go somewhere quickly, you had to take your robe and tuck it under your belt. That's what uh, Jesus is talking about here. Our equivalent today would be roll up your sleeves. In other words, Jesus is saying, get ready, stay ready. Keep your lamps burning. So in their day, they did, didn't just flick a switch and light came on. No, they had lamps and so you had to pay attention to it. You had to make sure you had enough oil that the wick was in the right condition. Jesus is saying, pay attention and be consistent in your action. And then he says, and be like men who are waiting for their master. And as we hear that, we understand now that the stay dressed for action, the keep your lamps burning, have to do with a servant. Someone who is to have those lights ready when, when the master or the superior comes home from a wedding feast that he's perhaps been at, that they're like ready to go. As soon as they hear his footsteps or whatever, the light's on and, then, and they can show him the way. As we see this picture, we begin to understand that life is not all about us. In fact, in this picture, it's so much more about the other, about being a faithful servant and how we can play that role well. So to synthesize what Jesus has said so far, he's saying, get ready, stay ready, pay attention, be consistent in your action as you live faithfully to God with patience. See, Jesus may not come back when we expect him to, it may take longer. Jesus says this, if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. When Jesus talks about a second or third watch, he's not talking about Rolexes. These are measurements of time and whether it was Jewish time or Roman time, it was probably he's talking something about midnight, 2 a.m. And of course, the longer someone has to wait, the harder it gets. So I thought about this, I was thinking, when I used to babysit uh, for our neighbors. Yeah, I used to babysit. And we had the best neighbors, they were super generous, and sometimes they would ask me to babysit their, their little boy, and you know, I didn't do it very often, but when I did, there was the occasion they'd tell me, you know, we're gonna be out quite late tonight, and feel free to put your head down and have a sleep on the couch over there, but I could never do that, because I, I felt like I'm in charge here, I'm responsible, and, and so I would even, if, you know, as the night got longer and longer and my head would be on the pillow on the couch, I would try and make sure that I didn't fall into a real deep sleep. I would just keep myself sort of semi-consciously awake. So when I heard the door open, I was like, up, ah, and I could run to the door. I wanted to be alert. Jesus said, if he comes in the second or third watch and he finds them awake, blessed are those servants. There's a blessing in us being alert and awake. Jesus now gives a contrasting example. The first example is quite positive. The second, maybe not so much. He says, but know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. In the first scenario, the surprising guest is the welcome master. In the second scenario, the surprising guest is the unwelcome thief. The first scenario leads to a statement of blessing. The second scenario leads to a statement of warning. 
And Peter probably thinking, hey, this is quite different. Jesus, are you, you know, what is this all about? Should we grab onto the promise or should we really focus on the warning? Peter asks a clarifying question in verse 41. Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? Now, Jesus doesn't really directly answer Peter, maybe because it's both and, or maybe because it very much depends on where we are in our relationship with God right now. One thing that does become clear in both scenarios, in both scenarios, no one knows the time, and in both scenarios, you cannot overstate the ramifications, whether for good or whether for bad. Let me start with the bad. We read in verse 45, but if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. We have said to live ready means to live faithful to Jesus, his teaching, and his calling. Not to live that way is not to be ready. And Jesus says that unfaithful servant, a manager in this case that he's giving us a picture of, is one who exploits others or perhaps he self-indulges. He gets drunk. It's all about eating and whatnot. And when the master comes surprising him, the result is not good. You heard the words, he will cut him in pieces. Let's remember, these are the words of Jesus. There are some Bibles in which Jesus' words are put in red letters. These are red letter words, and they're very difficult words. And I know for some of us, we, we don't want to hear Jesus speak harsh things. It's not the picture we want to have of Jesus, that he's a loving Jesus, and he would never say something like this. It's gone so far sometimes within Christian circles that the words of Jesus have been pitted against the words of the Old Testament. The, the false premise is that Jesus is somehow more loving than the God of the Old Testament, which is ridiculous because God and his character is eternal. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are exactly the same. Jesus is loving us here by warning us. In Luke chapter 13, someone comes to Jesus and asks him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once their master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. As we live, there are all kinds of temptations and thinking that say to us, you don't need to chew Jesus. You don't need to surrender your life to him. Even when we know it's best for us and it's the right thing to do, even when we've tasted part of the kingdom, that can still be challenging. To follow Jesus can put us in a situation where it's against the mainstream. We find difficulty in culture. Will we follow Jesus if it means we're going to be less popular or, or canceled in our world? Following Jesus, we have seen as we've gone through Luke, involves self-denial. Will we be willing to adjust our sexual desires to come into alignment with Jesus, whose ways are better for us anyway? Will we be willing to be generous with our finances, the stuff that we have, knowing that this in part is what it means to follow Jesus? Jesus says, strive to enter that door. Make every effort. 
Now, this does not mean that we can somehow earn our way to salvation. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross. That's why he had to die for us and shed his blood for us, rise from the dead. He did for us what we could never do for ourselves. But when he says, make every effort, he's talking about us resisting the things that are in front of us that deny him so that we can embrace and receive the good that God has for us. We are saved by grace through faith, but that genuine faith lives ready, faithful to Jesus, to his teaching, and to his calling. It's a narrow door. When the door is shut, the door is shut. There is a time of opportunity for every human being while we are alive, as Hebrews 9, 27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, or until the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. In this story, Jesus says that there will be some who will be banging on the door after it has been shut, saying, Lord, open the door to us. But it's too late. I experienced a situation once that really made me think about this. It was a while ago. One of the traditions in, in my life has been to go watch the BC High School boys playoffs and the finals in particular. Uh, I love to go there, see them play. And um, in, in a day when it was held at the BC Agrodome, the old dome there, uh, I wanted to go see it, but I also had another event on the same day. And so I thought, I'm gonna go to that event first, but I knew it was a bit of a risk because the dome often got packed out. Well, as it worked out, I got out of Abbotsford a little bit late and drove to Vancouver. Um, man, I was nervous the whole way because I knew I may not make it. I found a place to park my car, ran to the Agridome and found myself there with hordes of people who could not get in. There was no entry. I could hear the game going on. You could hear the crowd cheering and, and just having so, it was so exciting, but I wasn't part of that. I walked back to my car and drove home and with sadness thought about what it would be like to be locked out of the kingdom of God. For to have had the opportunity to have received the kingdom of God, but said no in the moment or thought, maybe, maybe I'll say yes at some future date, which never came. And the decision is made final. Jesus said, then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Here where Central Heights is located, we live in a city where there are many Christians and you can be born into a Christian home, you can exist in a Christian culture and think that you have a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus knew as he was saying these words that his audience was comprised of many Jews who grew up in a religion that had a relationship with God and thought that they would be first in line for God's kingdom. Their literature even states as much. All Israelites have a share in the world to come. But Jesus says this, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out and people will come from the east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some who are last who will be first and some who are first who will be last. It all depends upon your relationship with Jesus, what you have said about him. 
There's another place in scripture, Jesus says, I am the door. He is the one through whom you have to go through in order to enter into the kingdom of God. It's all about your decision about him. Earlier in this chapter of Luke chapter 13, the disciples and Jesus are having a discussion about people who are sinners and whether they were worse sinners. And Jesus says, you know what? Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he says it again, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. With Jesus, there is no universalism. There is no a time when God is going to say, you know what, I was just kidding about that, and God's going to make another way. It will only happen through Jesus. And the decision that you make about Jesus in this life is your final answer, locked in. God very much places a value on the decisions that you and I make. And when we choose to reject Jesus, it places us on the wrong side of the story of God so that when Jesus comes again, he's going to judge in varying degrees. We see this in Luke chapter 12, verse 47. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. These words of Jesus are serious words. Um, they're spoken by him out of love to warn us so that we won't choose the bad, but we'll embrace the good. See, God doesn't want the bad for anyone. He runs to the sinner that repents. And that is you and I, each one of us, are separated from God. And without Jesus, that gap cannot be closed. But for those of us who put their faith and trust in Jesus, his words that he speaks to us are words of blessing. We go back to Luke chapter 12. And the Lord said, Who then is this faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. To live ready is to live faithful to Jesus and to his teaching and his calling. Last fall, we did a series on calling and we talked about how God calls each one of us into a personal relationship with him, but that he also has a purpose for each one of us as to how we live out faithfully before him. We are like servants with an assigned task. And Jesus is saying here, when he comes again and he finds us faithful, God actually gives us more responsibility. This is part of our reward. We're going to be doing things we love, that we enjoy, that we're created and gifted for in service to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we will love it. And there's more. We go up to Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. I don't buy or recommend lottery tickets, but perhaps you've seen the commercials for Lotto Max in which there's a dream coach who approaches people that are thinking about what it would be like to win the lottery and encourages them to dream bigger. You see, the Lotto Max gets pretty big sometimes, up to 70 million, and they need to think bigger. In a bigger way, I don't think we have categories to think big enough for what God has in store for us. 
Jesus says some remarkable words here. He says he is going to sit at the table and serve us. I mean, this is, this is revolutionary. The master doesn't do that. It's the other way around, but this is God. Jesus says, I'm going to bless you. And I don't think we have categories for how great that blessing will be. Scripture gives us a bit of a glimpse. Some of it's mysterious, but we know a couple of things. We're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. In this earth, there are some amazing, breathtaking places. I think of the Canadian Rockies themselves, the Grand Canyon, or maybe the Great Ocean Road in Australia. These are such beautiful places. I don't think they're going to hold a candle to what God has for us in the new earth. Think about our bodies. Our bodies are, like, they are magnificently made, but they wear down. Think of a body without any pain or suffering. Think of a better body. If God has a suggestion box, I'm going to suggest we have bodies where we can, all, we can all eat the baked goods we want and no fat gets added to our body. Think about our relationships. Now, imagine in you no longer having some of those tendencies that creep up inside of you where you do things you wish you no longer did. No presence of sin. And where everybody around you, the way that they relate to you is, is always for your good. There's no evil. There's no wickedness, no gossip, there's no worry, there's no fears, like it's the best you could ever experience, the best vacation you've ever had, plus so much more, and it never comes to an end. C.S. Lewis, in his fiction, The Last Battle, talked about the never-ending story that we're looking forward to. Each chapter is better than the one before. Paul states in Ephesians 2 this way, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is going to bring a kingdom that is full of grace and mercy and truth and will have things that we do not have categories for right now. But the most amazing part of it is that we will be with Jesus. In 1 John, he writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who has this hope thinks differently, lives differently, plans to live differently. So as we think about Jesus coming again, we want to be ready for him. And we ask ourselves some questions. That helps us to plan. Where are the places where Jesus is asking me to give over to him? Those places where I can become more like Christ, to be purified, holy as he is holy. Where are those places and relationships that I can place myself, position myself for the empowering work of the Holy Spirit? What relationships should I focus on, plan to be part of, in order for me to live more faithfully and ready for Jesus? And what about my assignment? What has God called me, assigned me to do? How can I do that more faithfully? And what habits can I introduce or strengthen in my life that help reinforce everything around me so that I can live ready for Jesus Christ? I think as we ask these questions, we quickly come to the realization that we need to do this not just by ourselves, but with others. And this actually is God's design for us, that we do it in community, the church. As we read the second last chapter, in the last book of the Bible, we see the church described in terms like a, a wedding with a bride and a groom. Jesus, the groom, the people of God, the church, the bride. And every bride 
gets ready for her wedding celebration. COVID or not, brides have been thinking about the special day and have planned out the details of what that day is going to look like, but also planned out how they themselves are going to be ready. I've seen this on a couple of occasions. The buying of the dress, the, the picking out of the bouquet, the, the hairdresser, the makeup artist, the nails, so that she can be ready. I don't think any bride wakes up on her wedding day and says, ah, I think I'll just throw on some sweats today and give no thought to that day at all. No, the wedding day has been riveted in her mind for months, if not years, and she is going to make herself ready for that great celebration that she has so looked forward to in anticipation. Jesus is coming again. And for those who long for his appearing, they plan to be ready to live faithfully with Jesus, his teaching, and his calling. I know Jesus has said some pretty serious things to us today. He has given us words of warning and words of blessing. As you're watching or listening today and, and you question, you wonder whether you're in that place of blessing, you got to know that Jesus has spoken harsh words so that we can be awakened, if it, to use that term, to what he's actually offering us to be blessed, to be in a relationship with him, enter into the kingdom of God that he has for you. If you're not in that place and you would like to be today, I'm going to say a prayer right now. I invite you to join me. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I think you can also pray along. Please join me. Dear God, I come before you. I realize that my sin separates me from you. I believe that Jesus on the cross has taken care of that problem. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to be the ruler over my life, and to empower me to live faithfully and ready for you by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.